So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some near you in your, in your seats. Um, and so if you're using that Bible, the, the passage is on page 860. And we've been moving through the book of Luke, a section at a time together as a church. And uh, last week, we, we looked at the power of Jesus, his, his authority, as he taught with authority, displayed authority over sickness, over the powers of, of darkness and, and demons. And today, we turn to the, the call of the, the first disciples as we move into chapter 5. So again, this is chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was passing in, pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon's he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would hear your voice speaking in your word, that you would apply it to our hearts, Lord, that, that we too could be able to hear your voice saying, don't be afraid, that you would see your promises to us, Lord, that we'd be able to leave everything and follow you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a, a great book on productivity that's called What's Best Next, and, and it's by a, a Christian author who takes secular literature on it and distills it. And as you can hear through the title, the, the, the What's Best Next, really the big theme of the book is for people to be able to wrestle with that question, because there's so many things you can do. It can be overwhelming things in life. And so really saying, what's the next step you take? What's the best thing next? And I, and I think that that principle can apply to spiritual things as well, that we look at 
spirituality. We look at following God, and, and we have to ask, what is the next step? What is the next thing that God is calling us to do? And what we see here in this passage from Luke 5 is Peter, Simon Peter, doing what is best next, that, that he's taking these, these steps of faith, going from an observer of Jesus to a disciple of Jesus who's willing to leave everything behind to follow him. And it's interesting that if you, as you walk through this passage that he takes four steps of faith in the text. So the first step he takes is he, he listens to Jesus as an observer, and then he trusts in Jesus as a skeptic. Then he repents to Jesus as a sinner. And then finally, he follows Jesus as a fisher of men, moving through these four simple steps. And so we're going to look at these steps individually and, and what they can teach us today about following Christ, doing what is best next. And so the first, Simon Peter listens to Jesus as an observer. Look again at verse 1 in your Bible. It says that on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And so you see this talking about Peter here, and that he's really an observer. And this goes all the way back to what we talked about last week in chapter 4, where Peter had listened to Jesus teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. He'd observed him casting out demons, and he had even invited Jesus back to his home, and Jesus healed his mother-in-law who was suffering from a fever. And then people flocked to his house, and he saw more healings, more exorcisms. So he was already beginning to, to witness the power of Christ. And, and here we see him out doing what he knew how to do. He was a fisherman. And it says that he was washing his nets by the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the, the Lake of Gennesaret. And we learn later on in the text that he had actually been fishing all night, uh, that he hadn't caught anything, which is frustrating, I'm sure, on just multiple levels. I mean, all-nighters are never fun not catching anything, just feeling like you wasted time isn't fun. So I imagine he was a little bit depressed, a little bit frustrated. And then Jesus comes up, and there's this huge crowd following Jesus because uh, we, we learned last week that word about Jesus had been spreading throughout the entire region, that people were hearing of this teacher who has power. And so he comes up to Peter, and you know, who knows, he may have been staying at Peter's house. We know that he was there with his, his mother-in-law. And, and he basically says, Peter, I notice you're not using your boat right now, that it's up, up here. Can we use it as basically a pulpit for me to teach from? Because all these people are here. I need a good vantage point for teaching the word of God. And so he asked Peter, hey, can, we, can I get in your boat? And we'll just go a little ways out from the shore. And then I'll sit down. And it's great acoustics. The, the water would help. Who knows exactly what the shape of the bank was, but he could sit there and people could listen and hear what he was saying. And we don't know exactly what he taught um, as Peter pulled him out into the, the lake to teach from the boat, 
But we do know what Jesus' teaching generally was about. As, as you read the Gospels, he, he probably taught the Old Testament, explained the word of God. He proclaimed the, the coming kingdom. But really, Peter, who is sitting in the boat with him listening, is, is still an observer. He's still not yet a, a disciple who has left everything behind. And, and I think that, that there's a sense of, is this person actually the Messiah? Who is this, and is there anything here that's worth paying attention to? And I imagine that some of you here could actually identify with Peter in this way. You're not a professional fisherman, probably, um, but you know what it is to, to work hard. You, you know what it is to put in the time that you need to in your, your vocation. You're tired, you're busy, you have things to do. But then for some reason you're in church and you're, you're listening to the words of Jesus, you're observing what's going on. And probably there's, there's a sense of, of what Peter is doing, of saying, is there actually something here? Is there something to pay attention to? And if this is where you are, then I think that, that Peter is a, a great example. Because we live in a time where we have this massive influx of information. We, we have social media. We're busy. Our families are busy. Our jobs have demanding hours. And so as a result of those things, we're, we're just terrible at listening as a culture, that we don't take time to sit and actually listen to anything that we don't already know or we don't already assume that we know. We just barrel through life not paying attention. And so I think that, that sometimes then the, the first step of faith is what we see in Peter, that that he listens to Jesus, he observes Jesus, and, and today that might look like being in church, listening to preaching. It might mean reading the Bible. It could mean being part of a Christian community, just saying, what does Christian community look like? What does Christian worship look like? And as you're listening and you're observing, you're asking, is there anything here? Is there anything that I should pay attention to? What exactly is this? What is the next step that I'm being called to take? And really, then, Peter shows us that next step. Because after listening as an observer, he trusts Jesus as a skeptic. Look at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come over and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And so you see here that, that Jesus begins, he begins teaching, ends his teaching, right? And, and Peter's still on the boat. And instead of going back to the shore, Jesus says, hey, why don't you go out into the deep part of the lake and cast your nets in again for a catch? And you can sense that Peter is skeptical. I mean, he has spent all night fishing. He's tired. He probably just wants to go home and, and go to bed. He's frustrated. And as somebody who knows fishing, he probably thinks to, of Jesus a little bit on some level. What does this guy know about fishing? I mean, yeah, he... He can heal. He's an itinerant Jewish exorcist, but he's, a, he's really a, a carpenter 
turned rabbi, what does he know about fishing? And why is he going to tell me how to do my job? Because this is a bad time to fish. It's a bad place to fish. And I've been here my entire life. But look at what he does instead of telling Jesus off in verse 5. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So there you hear the skepticism. He's saying, just so you know, we've tried. But then he says, at your word, I will let down the nets. And so then you hear that this element of, of trust, saying, saying, I'm skeptical, but yet I'm going to, to trust you. And so he casts the, the net into the water, and, and it begins pulling on it. He can't pull it in himself. He, he motions to his uh, business partners, James and John, to bring the, the other boat over. They all pull together, and, and there's so many fish that, that the boats are about to start sinking because of the catch. He's never seen anything like this before. And I imagine that some of you also could feel like Peter spiritually, that you're, you've been fishing and searching for, for truth or meaning or life, and you think, I haven't caught anything. There, there hasn't been anything that, that has come down my way. And so you're a little bit frustrated, and then Jesus comes in his word, and he says, cast your net into the sea. Trust me, again, stop trusting your own ideas, trust my ideas, don't trust your wisdom, trust my wisdom, look to me. And, and then the human heart is, is skeptical of that, of saying, saying, no, I've tried this before, I know this won't work, I know it's too good to be true, but then there's that moment of faith of saying, I'm going to trust even when I feel the skepticism inside of me. And so the question, I think, for each one of us here is where could Christ be calling us to trust him and to actually step out in faith? It could be different for different people at different places. But where are we skeptical thinking, no, if I, if I do that, he's not going to show up? Do we actually believe that Jesus is, is faithful and that he will meet us as we trust him? But thankfully, we have the, the witness of, of Scripture that, yes, when we, when we trust him, when we step out in faith, even when there's doubts, there's skepticism, that he meets us. And, and we see this in, in Scripture from Noah, who stepped out in faith to, to build the ark, or Abraham stepped out in faith, leaving the, his homeland to the promised land, or Moses, who stepped out in faith to, to lead out the Israelites from Egypt, or David stepping out in faith to, to fight Goliath. And you could keep going with examples in Scripture. And, and at each point, he meets them. And it may not be in the way that they think. It may not mean that they get everything that they want. But yet, in the place that Christ is calling them to do something, where it is really God saying, I'm calling you to do this, that he will meet them. He will meet us as well. And this is what faith is. Hebrews 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so faith can be trusting the word of Christ even when we're skeptical. It is saying, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And so Jesus says then in response that ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to want to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so Peter then, he takes the, the first step of faith that he 
listens as an observer, but he, he doesn't just continue to be a hearer of God's word, but a doer. And so then he trusts Jesus as a skeptic. But then third, he repents to Jesus as a sinner. Look at verse 8. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So as I already said, Peter has seen miracles already. He saw exorcisms in the temple. He saw exorcisms in his home. He saw healings. He saw his own mother-in-law healed. But then somehow this enormous catch of fish is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's, it's, this is finally what he sees and says, all right, this, I, have, I can't just observe this, that there is really actually something here. And, and it, is, it may be partially because I mean, he's somebody who takes his vocation seriously. He knows fishing. He, he may not know sickness. He may not, he's not a doctor. He doesn't know fevers. But he knows that this is impossible and that it could only come through the power and the authority of God himself. But then his, his reaction is, is still surprising, I think, to us, that, that he doesn't just focus on the fish in the boat and say, wow, we're going to make a killing <laughs> off of all these fish. He, he doesn't focused even on, on Jesus and saying, oh, this is great. You're really powerful. I want to recommend myself to your service. But instead, he, he says, no, this guy isn't just another rabbi. He's not just another teacher. He's not just another prophet, that, that the Holy One of Israel is at work here, that, that God is actually showing up in my boat in a powerful way. And this is the one who John the Baptist says has the winnowing fork in his hand. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so he falls down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we think, well, that, why that reaction? Well, I, I think we know the, the feeling of you're, you're sitting around your house on a Saturday morning, and everything's a wreck. There's clothes on the ground. There's dishes piled up. You're in your pajamas. You haven't shaved. You haven't brushed your teeth. And then there's a knock on the door, and you go and you look through the peephole, and it's the CEO of your company outside. And you think, all right, I can't tell him to go away. But if I open, he'll see me for, for who I am. He'll, he'll see that I'm disorganized. He'll see that I'm a slob. He'll, he'll probably think poorly of me. This is, there goes my, my promotion. And so you want to say, no, just stay outside. Don't come in, because it's, it's too messy in here. And that's exactly what Peter does, that, that he sees that, that God himself is knocking at the door of his life. And he looks inside and says, nope, too, too messy in here. It's too cluttered. I've done too many things wrong. I've messed up too many times. I've failed too many times. Just depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. There's no way that you're going to want to come in here and, and deal with all of this mess. And this is the reaction that people have when they encounter God in Scripture. You can think of Isaiah in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 6, he's given this vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, seated on his robe, the, seated on his throne, the, the robe of his temple, of his, I missed my words, the robe of his garment is filling the temple. And, and as Isaiah sees him, the, the heavenly hosts are crying out, holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty. And even the, the heavenly host can't look at God, that they cover their face, they cover their feet. They're completely overwhelmed in the holy presence of God. And so Isaiah just melts and says, I am a, a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That is the same reaction. No, it's too messy in here. You can't come and you know, come inside. You'll, you'll be disturbed at what you find. But yet, we see good news for us. But I wonder, though, for, for us in our lives, as, as we think of, of our encounter with Jesus and our encounter with God and his word, do we ever have this reaction of encountering the power and the holiness of God and saying, saying, nope, too much sin in here, too much mess in here, don't come in, depart from me, O Lord. And I think that if we've never had that sort of deep awareness of who we are in the, the presence of a holy God, then we really do need to examine our hearts and think about where we are in relationship to God. I mean, many of you have, have done this already, but uh, at Hope we do membership interviews for people joining the church, and they explain the, their understanding of the gospel. We really want to make sure that they understand what Christianity is about. But as people explain the gospel and, and their encounter with Christ, one of the things that I always listen for is an awareness of, of sin and, and our unworthiness in the presence of a holy and righteous God, because because there's a sense in which if, if we have never had that moment of saying, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful person, that we may not have actually encountered the power and the glory of God in Christ. Because Peter had been with him, but it's not until this moment that he finally sees it, that, that he sees Jesus for who he is. But I would also be worried, though, if somebody were just wallowing in their sin and just stuck there thinking, no, God doesn't want anything to do with me. He, has, he doesn't want me. Because at the very moment that, that we say, depart, Lord, for I am a sinful person, I see your amazing holiness. I see that I don't line up to that, that, that if you enter into my, my life, into my home, that you're just gonna, I'm going to be judged. And it'll be a just judgment that, that Jesus says that he has come to seek and to save the lost, that he has come to rescue those who are dirty, who are unclean, who, whose lives aren't in perfect shape, that he is the, the good physician who, who binds up the brokenhearted. And this is why J.C. Ryle says, out of Christ, God is a consuming fire. In Christ, he is a reconciling father. And that's just so true that that outside of Christ, when we, if, if, if God enters into our life outside of Christ, he'll see the mess and he's going to hold us accountable for the mess in our lives. But as we repent and trust in Jesus, all of the mess in our life, all the things that we've done wrong are counted to him on the cross, that he bears the penalty we deserve, he bears the judgment we deserve, and then what he gives us is this mansion of his own righteousness. So we never have to worry as believers that, that God will show up and we're not going to be ready because what we have is, is a home that he himself has prepared for us. And so God knocks on the door of our life and he enters in and it's this, this mansion that has been swept clean and is perfect and furnished. And it's not something that we have done or our, our own labors, but it's the, the perfect life and righteousness and glory of Christ that is counted to us 
which is why the Apostle Paul can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And this is what we see in Peter, that he listens to Jesus as an observer. He trusts him as a skeptic. He repents as a sinner. But then last of all, he follows Jesus as a fisher of men. Look at verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And so you see here, Jesus doesn't leave Peter wallowing in his sin, wallowing in his shame, but he speaks good news to him. He says, don't be afraid that, that I'm the God of, of mercy. And then he says, for now you will be catching men. Or in the book of Mark, it's worded like this, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And so Peter, he thought he was the fisherman. He thought he was the one out catching fish that morning. But then it turns out and he realizes that actually Jesus was the fisherman all along and he was the fish and that he had been caught in the net of Christ. And then when Jesus pulls him out of the net, He's not this, this large, beautiful fish that you would want to take a picture of and put on Instagram. But instead, he's this, this small little minnow that, that a fisherman would just take and say, no, this is a sick little minnow. I'm going to throw it back into the water. I'm going to leave it on the beach to, to rot. But that's not what Jesus does. That, that he goes to, the, to this fish who's afraid and says, don't be afraid. And then he makes this incredible promise, and he says that I will turn you into a fisher of men. And so the, the fish is going to be turned into a fisherman. As one commentary says, he will no longer catch dead fish in order to eat them. Rather, he will catch living people, not to reduce them to servitude after the fashion of prisoners, but to give them liberty and true life. So that's such a beautiful picture of, of transformation of grace, of, of the hope of the gospel that is for every single one of us, that, that he comes to us and he promises to, to transform us, to, to renew us, and to turn us from, from little fish that are full of sin into these incredible, glorious followers of Christ who he might actually use to, to rescue other sinners who were caught in the way that we are. And so this promise then is, is for all of us. And notice that it's, it's not a command. He doesn't say, go do this. Go become a fisherman. But he says that I will make you into a fisher of men, that, that you will be catching men. It's a promise of God that isn't just for Peter. It isn't just for missionaries. It isn't just for professional pastors. But it's for every single believer that from now on, you will be catching men. And I've realized just in my own life that this idea of it, of it being a promise is actually really true. It's borne out. Because as we think of our, our duty as, as believers of being fisher of men, that it's not just to, a command to try harder. It's not saying just be more extroverted. It's not saying just learn this technique and you'll be fine or just use this 
a particular way to manipulate people into a certain place. But really, the, the starting place is to see the beauty and the glory of Christ. And to see ourselves as these broken, sinful people whose house are full of mess in and of ourselves, as people who were, were broken fish that Christ wouldn't want to keep, who then have been given grace and mercy and transformed and given an inheritance and adopted into the family of God. And so then our longing is to say, we have experienced this grace. We see the transforming power of Christ in our lives. And then we get the privilege of being able to share that with with those around us. But of course, if you have no desire to share your faith, if you've never told anyone about Jesus, if your heart doesn't break for the lost, then again, I'm not going to just say, here's a command, because that's not what Jesus gives us. He's giving us a promise here. But I do think that there is a call to self-examination and to saying, have we actually left everything behind to follow Christ? If we have no desire to, for others to experience the grace and the mercy that we have experienced, have we even experienced that grace? Or, unlike Peter, who leaves everything behind, are we holding on to our own righteousness? Are we holding on to our own dignity and we don't want people to make fun of us? Are we holding on to the, the idea that maybe people are just fine apart from Jesus? Maybe Jesus was wrong when he said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. And if that's our attitude, then of course we're not going to be fishers of men. But if Christ is working in our hearts, if we have experienced his grace, if he's showed us his mercy, if he's taken our sin, if he's given us his righteousness, then the promise is you are a fisherman that I'm going to turn you into a fisherman. And, and it's, it, we can't imagine a, a fisherman who doesn't fish. And so there's this promise of, of cast your net into the water and that, that God meets us. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. But you say, well, I tried it once. I told somebody about Jesus and it didn't do anything. There was no result. But again, Peter he fished all night, didn't catch anything. And at the word of Jesus, he did it, and, and, and he saw God's work and God's power. And it's the same for us, that, that we can go through seasons of drought, uh, but we have the promise of Jesus to us, that as fishermen we will fish, that we will be those who catch men. And so as we continue to drink deeply from the well of God's grace, to see him as, as, as above all that we can think or imagine, then, then what overflows is this longing to see other people rescued by Jesus in his net of mercy in the same way that we ourselves have been rescued. And that's my longing for, for Hope Church. I mean, if you look on the, the back of your, your order of worship, the, the mission statement is to be a worshiping community where anyone can explore the hope of Christianity and followers of Christ can be equipped to share their hope in every sphere of life. And that's my goal when I'm, when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, and in our, in our worship is to be constantly reminding those who know Jesus of, of his grace and his beauty and how much he has done for us. And so that this work of, of transformation will, will, will flow out. It's what theologians call sanctification, and it's, it's growth and, and grace. And it's, it's the work of Christ in us to change fish into fishermen, and it's what he, he is doing for those 
in Christ. But of course, the, the role of a, of a fisherman isn't easy, though. And as we, as we wrap up and as we look at the ministry of, of Peter, he leaves everything behind here to follow Jesus. He goes to become a, a fisherman of men. But then as he, as he follows Jesus, things seem to be going well, but then it, it falls apart. And, and Jesus is handed over to the Romans. He's tortured. He's executed. He's buried in a tomb. And then in that moment, Peter denies him three times. And he probably thought, my ministry is over. And there may have even been a sense of, I told Jesus at the beginning that I am a sinful man and that he should depart from me. And I was right that he shouldn't have taken me off that boat because I failed once again. I, he told me I was going to be a fisherman of men, but I am a, a denier of Christ. And so as he was then wallowing again in his, in his sin and in his guilt after the resurrection, we see how Christ restores him. And this is in John 21, if you want to turn there in your Bible. John 21, verse 2, reads like this. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So you hear the, the parallel. They were fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, the resurrected Christ. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And as it continues, he, he then swims to the shore. He finds Jesus. Jesus has already prepared, prepared this meal. There's a fish cooking. They, they have a meal together on the beach. And then Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? And he asks him three times, and three times Peter says, yes, I love you. You know that I love you. And it's, it's almost this turning back of his denial of Jesus. And then Christ says, feed my sheep. And so in a sense, it's this, this restoration to his calling of saying, saying, yes, you have failed, and I knew that you are a sinner when I called you to, to ministry, and, and your ministry is going to be equipping other fish to continue to do the work of fishing, that I've made a promise to you, and I'm going to keep my promise to transform you into something beautiful. And thankfully, that is the, the promise that he has to us as well, that he is at, at work within us. And so the, the question is then, what is that next step of faith that Christ is calling us to? And, and it could be just to say, I'm, I'm just going to be listening to Jesus, figuring out what's here. It could be saying, no, I've listened enough. I need to trust him, even though I have doubts. Or it, it could be saying, no, I've never actually seen my sin. I've never actually seen 
the way that I have fallen short of your glory, and I see it, but I also see the mercy of Christ, and so I'm going to repent and turn to you. Or it could be saying, no, Lord, I see your promise. I see that you have promised to, to turn me into a fisher of men, that, that, that I will be catching people. And, and so, Lord, give me the, the grace and the strength to see others experience grace and, and life and hope 